0: The Start On Demand. Demand.
1: Two fugitives wanted for murder in B.C. remained on the lam heading into Monday morning with the attention shifting from Gillam, Manitoba to York Landing after two men were spotted scavenging for food in the dump. We get the latest as of Monday morning from Global's Sean O'Shea. We're also curious with the people killed in BC near highways. That got us wondering, do you stop to help people on the side of the highway anymore? We'll continue to revisit memories of the 1999 Pan Am Games with a man described as the lead goose in the opening ceremonies and meet Lisa Dutton, the new evening anchor for Global News Winnipeg. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and a vacationing Loren McNabb, we are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Monday, July 29th podcast for The Start. And as much as we like to have fun and goof off on this show, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit difficult today as the uh, the manhunt really has kind of kicked into a new gear over the weekend. As uh, we are wondering on Friday, are they still in Gillum or are they long gone? Well, it turns out it looks like they were potentially.
0: Uh, on their way out. On their way out. Not really all that far away, which isn't all that surprising, I would say, at the end of the day. If this appears to be or turns out to be what it appears to be, uh, genuine sighting of the two suspects in, uh, we know it is York Landing, York Factory First Nation. There's some confusion, I think, going back and forth about well, where exactly are we talking about. The community is York Landing, but the First Nation is is York Factory, mm-hmm. and so uh, if you're looking for it on the no, on the map, you might be uh, getting confused. So this is this is south of Gillam. Uh, there's uh, all sorts of treacherous terrain. We know all about that. There may be a hydro line not too far away that they may have followed if if this is in fact the suspects. Lots of questions about. How did they get out of Gillum with the massive police presence? I don't think that's the question to be asked right now. I think the question just needs to be, when are we going to catch them? When will we actually get news of that? A little uh, disappointment from folks being expressed that the next scheduled RCMP media or press conference isn't scheduled until 3 o'clock this afternoon. With everything that happened yesterday afternoon and into the evening, it's surprising that they've done nothing but really released information and, and very little of it on Twitter. I think a lot of people would like to see uh, someone, a spokesperson come up and speak and and share what they know, but this is probably a, a very sensitive time as well. So we have to keep that, that part in mind. Our, our desire and our need to know details have to be balanced out with the police's ability to uh, share details in a safe fashion, to keep their members safe, to keep the community at large safe.
1: And of course, tension is mounting as well. And we had a situation right here in Winnipeg. Yesterday afternoon, a huge police presence on the South Perimeter mm-hmm. Highway. And I know, Greg, you saw a video on Twitter of some guys in a car driving by. And what we saw, several police cars, and there were two guys sitting in the ditch. And as they were driving by, someone in the car was saying, is that them? Is that the guys? And it turned out to be a false alarm, just a couple of hitchhikers. This was uh, yesterday afternoon, I think around one15 uh, there were several police cars on the westbound shoulder of the perimeter highway, uh, but the the speculation was that suspects were had made their way to Winnipeg.
0: Right, and so we highlighted this last week, and uh, heading into the weekend, so much concern, so much question about where these individuals might be, where they could be, when you do the math, uh, depending on... What type of vehicle they may have been able to commandeer or, or find themselves in, quite conceivable that they could could have been in Winnipeg. In fact, conceivable if they had a vehicle that nobody knew they had, that they could be the east coast of Canada. But RCMP, very confident that they uh, had found them and, and tracked them to that area around Gillum. And now, as mentioned Late yesterday afternoon and into the early evening, York uh, Factory First Nation is where those two individuals appear to be.
1: The coverage of the manhunt is not just in Manitoba, it's not just across Canada or even the
0: United States, but... Way from the other side of the world. Yeah, we of course are monitoring the situation in northern Manitoba as we enter day seven of the manhunt for two young men on the run from police, the military and community groups all searching for them. We will bring you the latest as we can. We have global national reporters Sean O'Shea and Crystal Gamansing and Gillum and York Landing, uh, respectively, along with Clay Young, monitoring things here in our CGOB newsroom. The next scheduled update from RCMP is at 3 o'clock this afternoon. The Manhunt has people talking from coast to coast in our country. It's also top of mind and top of the news in Australia. One of three people killed in northern B.C. was an Australian citizen, Lucas Fowler. Fowler was traveling to as many Canadian national parks as possible with his American girlfriend, China Deese. Fowler's father is, in fact, a police officer in Australia, and there have been reports that Australian police are actually here on Canadian soil. Australia News 9 is one of several networks covering this story. Here is how their coverage sounded last night. Canadian authorities are closing in on the teen fugitives wanted for murdering Australian Lucas Fowler, his American girlfriend and a university uh, professor from Vancouver. A new sighting has been reported from York Landing. It's a community 200 kilometres from the town of Gillam where Cam McLeod and Briar Shemigelski were last spotted. Let's go live to our US correspondent, Alexis Day, who's in Gillam tonight. Lexi, what's the latest information you have?
2: Well, Pete, what we know is that there were three volunteers who joined this uh, group that was joining the manhunt. They were looking in York Landing for the pair today. It's an indigenous community of a few hundred people, but it's there that they believe they spotted the suspects this afternoon near a garbage dump. They described them as two tall, skinny guys. We spoke to one of their fellow volunteers about what was seen.
3: They spotted the suspects in in a garbage dump. There was bears in the area. They were acting very quickly in their motions. It was out of the normal, so uh, that's when they called
2: it in. And, Pete, police have told me that they are now hauling officers over to York Landing to try and arrest the pair, but it is the middle of the night here, and this is very much a dynamic and unfolding situation as we go to air.
0: Okay, Lexi, thank you. Australia News 9 with a reporter in Gillam, Manitoba, just really highlighting what a big story this is for folks in Australia as Lucas Fowler, one of uh, three possible victims of uh, these men, that RCMP and the military. And uh, what can you say about the Bear Clan? And what they do in our community and what they do throughout Manitoba, absolutely beyond impressive.
1: Yeah, they're up in northern Manitoba at uh, the request of the Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs, and they actually had a flight that was scheduled to bring them back from Gillum to Winnipeg yesterday, but the guys who were up there said no, and they all made their way over to York Landing, the ones who were still in Gillum. Other patrol members were in York Landing. Um, So, yeah, just incredible that... uh, Like James Fable himself said he wanted to be up there, but he had to stay behind uh, for for family reasons, and he was in Walmart buying cat litter when he got a call from Fox Lake to say, can you confirm this sighting from your members? And so he had to get on the horn to figure out what was going on. Wow. We're going to hear from James Fable. He was on the shift with Drex overnight. We'll hear playback some of that conversation for you at 7.07 because he's got some experience with that part of the province, and he says for them to make their way from Gillum to to York Landing on their own is treacherous stuff.
0: <laughs> There's really not much more we can say. Um, look forward to hearing from James, a uh, credible citizen in our community.
1: Mackling and McGarry-McNab back next week. At 7.07, we're going to hear more from James Fable, Executive Director of the Bear Clan Patrol. He was on the shift with Drex overnight. Want to hear, play some of that conversation for you. We also have Valor FC tickets to give away at 7.15. Right now, we want to take a sort of different look at this conversation about this manhunt because the headline at globalnews.ca, in wake of northern BC murders, residents say cell service needed along highways. We'll just read a couple of phrases from this here. Grace Phillips says she and her husband are being more cautious these days. The couple owns the Water's Edge Campground, which sits off Highway 37 just north of Dease Lake in northern BC, and not far from where one of three murder victims was found more than a week ago. Ever since, Phillips says she's noticed a change among those who stop at her campground. It's busier here than before. It was busier than before the bodies were found, she said. No one wants to stop along the side of the road anymore. So that got us thinking, do you stop on the side of the road? Greg, you just went out to, was it Pinawa
0: this weekend? Yeah, went to Lee River for uh, overnight and a day and a half or so of R&R and i'm ever since i've been driving i'm one of those people that pulls over and helps someone change a flat tire or gives them a ride to the next uh, city i did so in the middle of indiana back in 1988 drove a guy into <laughs> kentucky and got a real lesson in race relations in the united states we were driving over the ohio river and having a conversation as a truck driver's truck broke down and I'd encountered lots of people on my trip to that point that had no idea where Manitoba was. He knew where it was, drove him into uh, Louisville, I guess it was. And I said, uh, John, where do you like, where do you need to go? And he says, Greg, where I need to go and you and I can be seen together are two different things. He was a person of color yep. and uh, I had to drop him off in Louisville, downtown Louisville and his wife would come and pick him up. Wow! Yeah, so you know those are the sorts of things that open your eyes to whether or not you're you're doing the right thing. And I know I got all sorts of heck uh, from friends and family. You did what? Where? What are you doing? But I, that's just the way I am, Tristan. I'm going to guess you're the same way.
1: Uh, it it depends, though. Like if it's someone, if it were a situation where it's clearly someone who's dealing with a flat tire, or uh, maybe during the winter their car needs help starting. Absolutely. Hitchhikers, though, I would generally say no to that, Uh, frankly, because um, you don't know who you're picking up. And I, I, and this is personally, personally, I'm sure this varies for everyone out there, but I feel as if, if someone has a car that's broken down, you have at least a reason or some sort of barrier where you can say, okay, I know that this person has this particular reason for being here. Whereas a hitchhiker, you don't know what they're necessarily carrying or why they're going to a particular location. It's just some random person asking for a ride. And I'm, I'm sure some of them need the help, but it's not a risk that I'm willing to take.
2: Yeah, most of the time when we're traveling, we just don't have spare seats in the car anyway. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, yeah. uh, We often say we'd love to pick you up, but no room in the inn type of thing. Uh, I honestly can't remember if I have ever picked up a hitchhiker. I've I've been a hitchhiker myself uh, a couple times when I was uh, in my younger years. But, uh, you know, it's funny, Greg, because I think you and I saw the same guy. Uh this would have been probably back in the wintertime, the guy that was right uh, at the, uh, where you turn off to go to Broadway a Portage, waving his arms crazily, yes. needed help, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. It turned out it was, yeah, someone who wasn't in dire straits. So. I asked him where his car was, couldn't show me where his car yeah. was.
0: And I said, well, I'll call the cops for him. No, 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 no. no yeah. That, that, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. You know what, bud? I'm going to. Roll back up my window that was only down two inches in the first place, and I'm going to carry on. Different maybe at four in the morning than on Trans Canada Highway. Or, True enough, or you're yeah. just you're you're just cautious that way. Kelly. Yeah,
2: I think I don't know. Maybe as, as you get older, you get a little bit more cautious. I'm not sure, but uh, I, I think you have to go with your instinct on these things too. Mm-hmm. You know, you yeah, you have to just kind of read the tea leaves and and whatever makes you feel good. Then uh, if you let's face it, if you can help somebody else stranded on the side of the road, that would be a noble thing to do for sure.
3: Yeah, yeah, actually, I think I saw that same guy you guys were talking about. Uh, it was early in the morning on Portage.
2: Yes, and
3: yeah, yeah I was like, "Sorry, man, I got to keep going."
2: Yeah. Just, wow. yeah. <laughs> the, the the Spidey senses were on full alert. Yeah. <laughs> going by that guy. Yeah,
1: yeah, I uh, I remember once I was this was it was under the highway. It was right close to home when I lived at Corden and Harrow and i there was i was just approaching from the south so i was going northbound on harrow and i stopped at the red light and i saw this man and a woman and they appeared to be in a i don't know if they were having a scuffle or what but he basically took off and she came running over to me and said hey he just stole my id can i use your phone and i thought I stole your id Okay, but I had seen them before, and that's the thing. I had seen the two of them before kind of patrolling the area. Uh, They looked sort of seedy, so I just said, sorry, I I can't help you on that because I just felt like I was walking into some sort of a trap.
0: It sounds like probably you were. Good instinct there. Peter says, always help 100%. I live in the country, would never leave someone stranded. And another one of our listeners sort of said, yeah, always help people out. In the country, but in the city, <laughs> I leave them alone to their own devices. Yeah. And as we've been talking, I'm reminded and remembering an instance where there's that um – campground just outside Portage La Prairie, near the Portage Diversion, south of uh, the Trans Canada Highway. And my mom was camping out there for a week, but was coming to Winnipeg to see Billy Joel. So I went out to babysit my baby brother and sister in the camper. The next morning, I'm driving out of that campground, and a man comes out of the marsh waving his (laughs) arms... So like apocalypse now we're yeah, talking, or? he had an orange jumpsuit on and oh my. I didn't click in for me. My instinct was to stop and I rolled down the window and he said, Hey, is there a convenience store in there? And I said, yeah, just in the campground. He says, thanks. Off he goes. And I'm like, I was listening to the radio last night. I think someone's escaped from Headingley. So I sprinted. As fast as I could at about 120 kilometers an hour to the Shell Station near Portage Prairie, phone 911. I think I spotted the guy you're looking for. From Headingley, and by the time I got back on my way to Winnipeg, there were three or four RCMP cars, so I just about had not a very good oh, experience my <laughs> by stopping. The orange jumpsuit should have been a dead year. Yeah, reboot the spidey senses. <laughs> we were speaking uh, earlier about whether you pull over and help people out. Well, this woman sure did. Long story, but well worth it. In 2017, my friend, my daughter, and I were driving back from Porge La Prairie At 11.15 at night, it was April 7th, 2017 to be exact. I was driving and I saw a lady standing on the side of Saskatchewan Road out there near Portage La Prairie. I thought it looked a little odd that someone would be holding a doll at that time. But my friend and daughter agreed that we should take another look. So I did a U-turn and went back as we were doing doing that in my rear lights. They noticed a car in the ditch. So we came back, but didn't see the lady. I was on the phone with RCMP for a few minutes when I heard a noise and looked, there was a bloody hand on my window. Well, it was the lady and holding a two-year-old baby in her arms. After what seemed like forever, the ambulance and the fire department all showed up. When the medics tried to get the first little girl out of the car, she climbed into my daughter's lap and didn't want to go with them. She had to coax her out. Monday rolled around, we found out the lady was charged with drunk driving, even though she kept telling us she was driven off the road by a truck we had just seen. Last year, my friend, my daughter and I were given rescue commendation from Life Saving Society. Yes, I totally hate drunk drivers now, but no matter what, I will always stop to help someone out because you just never
1: no. Well, thank you very much for sharing that story at 204-780-6868. If you have any stories you want to share anytime, text us 204-780-6868. <laughs> Football game on Friday didn't go so well for the Blue and
0: Gold. No, nah, not so much. The Blue Bombers went into Hamilton Friday night Brett. They were looking to move their regular season winning streak to 6 games. The football gods had other plans following a dominating 31 win from the Blue Bombers over Ottawa last Friday, I guess a week Friday passed the tiger cats came up big with a 32 15 win at Tim Hortons field in Hamilton. Matt Nichols, you might recall completed 19 passes in a row in the win against the red blacks. Well, he had a tougher go Friday night. He completed 29 of 48 passes for 261 yards Normally, on their own, those numbers are pretty decent. It was the three interceptions versus one touchdown pass, which was the big difference for the Bomber QB.
4: Somebody will say this is a wake-up call. I bet you're not buying into that. I mean, whatever. We we just didn't play as
3: good tonight. I mean, people can, you know, say whatever they want, um, you know, talk about my play, and uh, you know, as they should. I mean, I feel like I didn't, you know, didn't play my best game tonight, and like I said, it's, this is what I signed up for as a professional quarterback. I can handle it. and you know, I'm come back and play better next week.
0: Of course, it was 23-15 for Hamilton. I just inverted those numbers in my mind. That was Bob Irving with Matt Nichols post game, the voice of the Blue Bombers, who joins us now from Guelph, Ontario. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, you guys. Kind of a neat place to be camped out for the next several days. Tell us why you're there before we get into the details of what went down Friday night. Okay, well, Guelph's a uh...
4: It's about halfway between Hamilton and Toronto. I guess it's a city of about 150,000 people, and we are here, we being uh, the media who cover the team and the Blue Bombers, because rather than fly home uh, in kind of a quick turnaround, they play Thursday in Toronto and then fly back. Uh, The club decided to keep the players here on the ground, uh, save the airfares. Now there's hotel costs, I guess, you know, from a bottom-line point of view. It's about a wash, and... uh, so they've opted to practice here for a couple of days, and then it's on to Toronto Wednesday for the game on Thursday night.
0: So Matt Nichols had one interception going into the game Friday night through three in that game alone. Was that the difference in the game?
4: It was a big part of it for sure. Uh, the, the two turnovers, Greg, on the, on the kick returns were a big part of it too. Those led to six points uh, by the Hamilton Tiger Cats, fumbles by Lucky Whitehead and Kenny Walker. So five turnovers in all. And, you know, you can't win when you when you do that. And Nichols' uncharacteristically was off the mark with a couple of his throw, which he owned after the game. Uh, you know, I, people had sort of developed this impression, I think, that the Bombers were invincible. Well, they're good, you know, but they're not that good, that they couldn't get beat if they turned the ball over and played against an inspired team. And that's exactly what happened on Friday in Hamilton.
1: Bob, I understand that the uh... – all right, the run game largely absent. Andrew Harris, I think, what did he have like fifty-three yards in the game? Why well, didn't they run it more?
4: I don't know. He only had eight carries, and what they did, uh, Brett, they sort of abandoned the run in the the third and fourth quarters. And I'm not sure why. We often wonder about that. Uh, you know, whoever's calling the plays in this case, it's Paul Applese, decided that uh, they could do some things in the passing game, and they were behind, and teams tend to lean to the pass when they're behind, but I don't think it's ever a bad idea to give the ball to Andrew Harris a little bit more. So that's one of the things you, you question when a team loses, a team like the Bombers that relies so much on the run.
0: So quarterbacks the big story for both teams with, with Nichols uh, performance and you know we've kind of covered that off. but Jeremiah Mazzoli, who's the key to a lot of the things that the Hamilton Tiger cats do well on the field, was injured on Friday night a non-contact injury. so no bombers really involved in the play at least physically. Mazzoli now out for the rest of the season, the five and one Tiger cats, uh, different team without him.
4: Yeah, that's a massive blow to their hopes for the season. They're saying all the right things, that they're confident young Dane Evans can lead them to success, but to lose a quarterback of Mazzoli's caliber in any way is a massive blow, and to lose him, I guess, in one of those freaky non-contact things, Greg, where a player just plants, he plants his leg to change direction, and boom, away goes the ACL on his knee, and we've seen it happen so many times over the years, and I always find it odd that in a a violent contact game like football, some of the more dramatic injuries occur in non-contact fashion, and it's kind of a mystery, but it's really a a massive blow to the Ticats.
1: When Evans came in, uh, were the Bombers caught off guard because he seemed to play okay?
4: Well, he played okay, but they only scored nine points in the three quarters that he played. Uh, The Bomber problems were on... uh, kick returns, fumbling the ball, and on offense. uh, You know, their defense played well enough, and so they should have. I mean, when Mazzoli went out, the Ticats were humming. It looked like they might score 50 points. Uh, And then when Evans came in, it was a different story. They only scored nine. But uh, Winnipeg's problems were on offense, and they had some injuries. They lost Darvin Adams and Drew Wolitarski, who didn't play in the second half. Uh, I don't know what the situation is going to be Thursday. As always, the Bombers are very guarded about the injury situation, but I wouldn't be surprised if Adams misses the game. And that'll bring Chris Matthews uh, back into the lineup. Uh, Linebacker Anthony Gator was also injured. I don't know about his status. I guess we'll find out more when they practice today. So not only did they lose the game, they may have lost some of their starters to injury, and they've been relatively fortunate in that regard so far this year.
0: Bombers have been preaching the fact that they're 0-0 zero and zero going into every week. I guess you'll find out how true that is when you speak to them after practice today and if they're in a snarly mood and if they've been, been uh, carrying around this loss for the last three days or not, or or whether they just, yeah, that's in the rear view now, let's focus on Toronto. Coach's show tonight, in spite of the fact you and Coach are uh, on the road, Bob?
4: Well, Chorus has a radio station here in Guelph, and uh, Michael Shea and I will be there at our appointed time between 7 and 8, Greg, and we'll do the, the weekly coaches show as normal. People can phone or they can text their questions. I can tell you the Bombers were in a snarly mood after the game on Friday. I expect they'll carry that over to Toronto to play the O and 6 Argos on Thursday.
1: Bob Irving joining us live on CJOB. Bob, thank you very much, sir. Okay, you guys. It's Mackling and McGarry. Greg, did you know that you, if you're a vampire, Mm -hmm. you can't enter someone's home without being invited in? Did you know that?
0: I did not.
1: And as it pertains to this particular studio, if you're from Saskatchewan, you're not allowed to cross the threshold into the studio unless you're invited in, and you reluctantly were essentially forced to invite our guest in.
0: You are exactly correct, sir.
3: I am not a vampire, but I am from Saskatchewan. I do wear a lot of makeup, though, like vampires do. Well, News anchors and vampires. I would
0: not make that correlation at all, Lisa. Lisa Dutton takes over the global television 6 p.m. newscast tomorrow. I do. But she's doing the rounds, the car wash, as they call it, in the sports world, right? Going around seeing everybody, getting your face and your voice out there. So welcome to CJOB. I'm not sure if I like you yet, but I I have a quiz here, and we'll find out how Manitoban, uh, you have the potential to be. Okay. Okay, because you've been here for almost two years, right?
3: Almost two years, yeah. moved out here. It'll be two years in September. So prior to that, I was uh, an anchor at Global Saskatoon for 12 years. So uh, just really happy to be back in the Global News family and, and, you know, proud of them for taking me back on uh, after spending a little time getting my family settled.
0: Well, like alcoholism, the first uh, step (laughs) in in getting better is admitting (laughs) you have a problem. Yes. So leaving Saskatchewan is a great first step. But there's also a saying that I used to carry with me when I lived away was that you could take the boy out of Winnipeg, but you can't take the Winnipeg out of the boy.
3: Oh, okay. So we'll find
0: out how much Saskatchewan is still in you? Okay? okay.
3: Hey, that's fair. Okay, you ready? You bet.
0: Okay, first one. I wish one. you godspeed on this, by the way.
1: Greg hates Saskatchewan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a little jealousy there. Let, let's be honest. Okay, jam buster or jelly filled donut? Jelly filled donut. <clears throat> the look on Greg's face right now. <laughs> white, brown, or rye. If you're um. ordering breakfast and they ask you what kind of toast, white, brown, or rye.
3: Brown.
0: It's not going well I, for you. You know what? Lisa I know.
3: I know you wanted me to say Rye.
0: Well, well, that's well, that's half the battle. <laughs> is that you know what you're supposed to say? I think this is good for your credibility that you're answering in an honest fashion. Okay. Hoodie or bunny hug? Bunny hug. Oh my word! This is not good. Favorite <laughs> hockey team?
3: Favorite hockey team? Winnipeg Jets. Easy. No problem. Okay.
0: All right. You win one. Cabbage rolls or halopchi? Cabbage rolls, hell up, what? Uh-huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Riders or bombers. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Okay. Well, you got one right. <laughs> okay. You, uh, but like you said, you know what the right answers are supposed to be. <laughs> and so I respect you, by the way, for okay. not being a turncoat on your team because a real fan is a fan no matter where they live. So you get extra bonus points for being truthful with that answer. Holopchi is the Ukrainian word or Holopchi for cabbage roll. You'll you'll learn that one if you go to enough uh, fall suppers in Manitoba or church dinners in the city.
3: I still have yet to be invited to a Manitoba social. What? No, I haven't. In almost two years? No, I haven't been, like, I don't know. I feel like the age group of people getting married aren't maybe my people, you know? I'm kind of a little, like, all of the weddings that I went to, I've kind of went to. So, yeah, if anybody's having a social.
0: We can fix that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so you know what the right answers are. You, You clearly don't practice them, but that's okay. Last one for you ginch or gaunch oh gotch. there it is trick questioning <laughs> you well done thats this is good thank Very you good. so much well for done, having myself. me this morning
1: so you you start tomorrow but today you're doing a bit of a takeover right
3: hmm yeah I think the idea is you know you move to a new city and you take time to get to know the city. But it's kind of a way for the people of Winnipeg to get to know me a little better. Um, They will get to know me on air, obviously, every night at six o'clock. But uh, it's good to show people um, the other side of it, sort of who you are uh, behind the scenes. And there's a lot that goes into putting a newscast together every day. I always say, you know, that that 30 minutes of news at six o'clock is a very small part Mm. of uh, a huge team effort that, that goes on every day at Global Winnipeg.
1: Social media takeover, Global Winnipeg's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram are all in Lisa's hands today. What does it feel like to have that kind of power?
3: Oh, uh, it feels good. You know, I guess I feel trusted, which is, is important. So, yeah, looking forward to uh, to introducing Winnipeg to uh, myself and, and all of the hardworking people behind me.
0: It's going to be a blast. It is. We're going to be at Portage and Maine together very soon. So yes. looking forward to being able to call on you if if you're around. I, I know the hours are a little bit awkward. We may never see you again. I mean, who really yeah. knows for sure <laughs> based on the hours that we work? But uh, hopefully, we'll be able to call on you once in a while and have you on the show.
3: Yeah, I can be your your Saskatchewan expert. Your you know your go to if you need somebody to to hate on that day. Well, how's that,
0: how's, that, how's that Regina Bypass coming? I think that's an incredible project.
3: Well, and I like that you said that you're jealous of a few of the things happening in Saskatchewan.
0: Saskatchewan's done some incredible things, and I'll be honest, the, the biggest part of my disdain for Saskatchewan in the last decade is the fact that they have moved ahead Manitoba on so many fronts and done some incredible things. They're very proud people in Saskatchewan. I wish that Manitobans were a little bit more proud of where they're from, no matter No matter what, and Saskatchewanians Saskatchewanians. are proud of where they're from no matter what, no matter how bad their football team is (laughs) at at times.
3: Yes, I said, I I was mentioning to the other other crew I was chatting with this morning over at uh, Power 97, my husband actually played football for the University of Saskatchewan Huskies. I knew that. So I have to tell you, like, our real thick Saskatchewan football alliance falls at that CIS level, and... We cheer for the Bombers as a s- secondary team. Right, right, except for
0: two weeks of the year, <laughs> yeah. or maybe three, depending it, on. You know, it, it,
3: I, I, I'm happy to say that. And I do think, like, I think that Bombers fans get that too. Like, we're not cheering for the Lions, right? We're Mm-mm. not cheering for the Argos. We got Mm-mm. each other's back. It's kind of like brothers who don't get along. Does that
0: make sense? makes complete sense. Okay. We draw a line right down the middle of the uh, bedroom like the the Brady brothers did once upon a time. Lisa Dutton
1: takes over on Global TV on Global Winnipeg as of 6 p.m. tomorrow night. Lisa, pleasure to meet you. Thanks for stopping by.
3: Thank you, guys.
1: Authorities continue to search for two B.C. fugitives wanted for murder in northern Manitoba. The focus has shifted from Gillam, Manitoba to York Landing. Global Nationals' Sean O'Shea joins us live on 680 CJOB. Sean, are you still in Gillum?
5: We're still in Gillum. Yes, we are. We have a second team that uh, deployed out to York Landing uh, by charter last night, Uh, but we're here because there's not much internet connectivity over there.
0: So, Sean, uh, give us a little bit of the lay of the land here, because there were reports that uh, RCMP were tre- checking the Via Rail train up to Churchill, and York Landing, or York Factory First Nation, is actually south and a little bit west of Gillum, correct?
5: Correct. Well, they've were checking. they been checking everything. We've been here for a few days, and my colleague, Crystal Gomansing has been here longer than me. Uh, the reality is they, the, the RCMP had turned up nothing, but they were focused continuously on what was going on right in this community and of course beyond they had military assets they had two military uh, fixed-wing aircraft a hercules and an aurora doing a search and they've been under a little bit of pressure yesterday as well for for not necessarily saying very much about how the search was going then all of a sudden on twitter they said listen we're open to tips and they confirmed they had about 200 tips in the last five days they asked people to contact him directly, not to go on social media. And then around 6 o'clock uh, local time here, uh, we found out that this tip had been called in uh, from York Landing, um, from the Bear Clan volunteers, saying they'd found uh, two people matching the description of the suspects in the local garbage dump. And all of a sudden, the police deployed uh, a significant number of, of, of their officers, their members, from here by plane. Uh, they had a Hercules uh, as well getting people over there And the search was on last night. And they've reinforced saying uh, they're putting all their efforts into that location entirely today.
1: Bear Clan members uh, were saying that they they think they heard shots fired after the the Mounties arrived. Any word if that's been confirmed, if shots were fired?
5: There had been so much speculation on social media last night from shots fired to arrests made to uh, suspects shot. Uh, and, and as you can imagine, these things with social media, people can say anything and do say almost anything. And as as journalists, of course, we have to be focused on what we can confirm. And last evening, the Maudis uh, came out and said, no, we have made uh, no arrests. Uh, we have nobody in custody. We're still searching. And about 45 minutes ago... They repeated that the operation was, was still on and that they have poured all of their efforts into there. Uh, I just got off the, the phone with, with our team that's, that's over there. They say police are on the ground and moving about right now, and additional officers are being brought in uh, by ferry. Um, basically, Gillam has been virtually depleted of Maude's here, and for the last week or so, um, heavily armed Maude's have been here all week. This has been ground zero. That would appear to have shifted now to York Landing,
0: Sean. People are on edge with regard to the story and the whereabouts of these two individuals. To the point, yesterday around one o'clock in the afternoon, a video was was shot on a on a handheld phone of two individuals in what appeared to be handcuffs in the ditch on the south perimeter highway here in Winnipeg. And for a half an hour to an hour, uh, uh social media and newsrooms, uh, all around, I suspect were are we're, you know, trying to catch up to that story and find out what the real deal was on that. So much speculation, as you mentioned, so many rumors floating around. That's just the challenge of, of reporting news in the social media age.
5: It's a big challenge. I've been at this for, you know, more than 30 years. And so what I learned early in Alberta and Saskatchewan where I worked was you, you've got to get the facts um, everybody wants to be first and and of course we do a global news as well but we really want to be be right and especially because this is this is not a trivial thing you know people's lives are at stake they're looking for two people that they believe killed three people in northern BC uh, this is very serious and and people here uh, have uh, their own safety uh, uh, concern and so we want to get it right and we want to make sure that report the facts, because it's easy for people to say anything on social media, and they do that. And we know from what you just described yesterday, there was a big um, uh, fury of interest that, that that was it, that that was, that was the, final, uh, the final end of all of this. But what but, but we found out about this story, this is now into its seventh day uh, of searching, is that there's no easy end, it appears. And and if these are the, the actual suspects who are out there, um, they've, they've got a capability of being able to stay stay alive and stay mobile. I mean, the, the weather is cold. It's 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 unforgiving up here in many ways. Cold, wet, dense bush. To be able to survive for a number of days without a lot of preparations or without a lot of gear is, is something in itself.
1: How are the people of Gill- Gillum doing? Are they tired?
5: I think that's a good way of putting it. Uh, uh, I, I spent seven years in, in, in Saskatchewan, and I got to know the people there and and the way of life. And up here, because of the relative remoteness of it, people are used to not locking their doors. It sounds cliche, but it's true. Not locking their doors, they leave their keys in their trucks, their keys in their car. Uh, people know other people. Uh, the, all the people we interviewed and spoke to over the course of the last few days felt like they're Their relative safety and their freedom had had really been changed, maybe for a while. Um, They were happy, though, that the RCMP was here in such strong numbers. They were happy on Saturday when the military brought in the uh, Hercules, uh, because anything that they felt uh, would, would lead to the capture of these suspects, was for them good. They just want this to end. And I think there's a a bit of disappointment that what happened last night in York Landing didn't lead to an arrest because here we are on Monday morning and people are still uh, unsure about uh, whether this is going to Include today or whether they're going to be in for a few more days of this.
0: Sean, we'll let you go right away, but uh, let me ask you this. We played uh, some audio from Australia News 9. They have a reporter up in Gillum. Is that individual alone in uh, reporting from Australia? Give us an idea of of the media presence from around the world.
5: Not at all. Uh, it's a great point. Uh, of course, you know, the Canadian media are here. Uh, we've got two teams here we you know channel 9 in australia channel 7 abc which is the big public broadcaster they're really interested in this because one of the victims is is an australian and uh, they've deployed a lot of, of uh, news resources uh, to to this story and and the amount of reporting back in australia it's really it's put manitoba put Gillum on the map uh, not necessarily in the most positive way um, but it, it certainly has been widely reported, uh, and and those organizations are also um, anticipating. One of the organizations actually uh, flew their crew to Thompson. They're, they're so far ahead that they, they believe there's going to be a capture, that there's going to be um, an, an arrest, and there's going to be a court appearance. So they're a little bit farther ahead of the game than we are. We're just waiting to see whether uh, the police do, in fact, uh, make an arrest today.
1: Global's Sean O'Shea joining us live on 680 CJOB from Gilliam, Manitoba. Sean, thank you very much for this. Thank you, both of you. Mackling and McGarry, thank you very much for joining us. McNabb is back next week, and it is time to continue to chat about the 1999 Pan Am Games. And we read a part of this email last week, and we'll read some of it to you again. I enjoyed listening to your interview with Tanya Dubnikov on the 20-year anniversary of the 1999 Pan American Games, that interview with Kelly Moore. It's amazing what the Pan Am Games did for the city of Winnipeg. And this email goes on to talk about this person's involvement in the games. And he says, My personal claim to fame was being the lead goose. So, Brooke Jones, the author of this email, is in studio with us now. To tell us, and you eat,
6: is that the goose from this performance? Good morning, gentlemen. This is the first goose to hit the field at uh, Winnipeg Stadium back in 1999 for the opening ceremonies. Uh, <laughs> this is the
0: lone goose for that uh, first lap. Have you got an honorary name for said goose? Or?
6: As I was driving in this morning to the studio, I don't have a name for the goose. Maybe we should come up, one, up with one or ask our listeners to... Uh, suggest a name
0: Yeah, 20 years later and to imagine that you've been he- holding on to this piece of winnipeg history is impressive enough and she's in pretty good shape yeah great shape
6: besides a uh, small neck injury well those and things happen happen from uh, i'm glad my uh, mom let uh, me keep the goose for years at, at home and then it's been in my dad's uh, storage shed for many years so uh, they've been the my dad's been the guardian the last few, so, few years.
1: So, describe this goose then, like what we're, and I'll get a video of it and put it up on our 680 ABCJUB Instagram. But uh, what is this goose made of here?
6: Yeah. Right now, the goose is a little more uh, decked out. It has a sun hat, sunglasses, and streamers. This was added for the closing ceremonies. Okay. However, a couple of months out um, before the opening of ceremonies, uh, Larry Deroshi's vision was to create this Panda Games logo out of geese, and we were the geese, the human element. However what would the goose look like? It's actually a styrofoam uh, and paper wings, a paper body, which was created down in, I believe, Pennsylvania. So it's traveled international. Nice. And um, yeah, so it was created down there and, uh, for the uh, performers, we needed to hold the goose above our heads. How would we do that? And the uh, innovative thinkers came up with uh, golf ball retrievers. <laughs>
0: okay, that's <laughs> so what that is.
6: That's it's, it's golf ball retriever. <laughs> that's brilliant. Uh, missing the aspect that uh, would grab the ball from the uh, the water, but uh, yeah, it's a golf ball retriever, and uh, it's taped up in sections so it wouldn't be able to just, just spin and to stay uh, to stay straight and fly uh, forward.
0: So, uh, those uh, geese, as they came in, and and you were the lead goose, um, how long did you have to hold the goose above your head, and did you have to move it so that its (laughs) wings would would appear to be flapping? Give us some idea of the uh, opening routine and the physicality involved.
6: At the time, I was fortunate. I was a middle long-distance runner, a track athlete, so I had some stamina and endurance, and... Uh, it was a few days before the uh, opening ceremonies that they announced that I would be the lead goose. Uh, they announced that at uh, center field, late night rehearsals, so it was very uh, sort of quiet, hush hush, what the, uh, the what the performance would would look like. Uh, one lap of the field, I uh, had that, and then uh, as I was approaching three quarters around the field, uh, the other goose would come in, other geese would come in from the uh, different gates onto the uh, onto the field so,
0: so you had the field to yourself at one point for one, is that right one entire lap had wow.
6: glory lap so I didn't have a <laughs> clock on the time but uh, <laughs> and I would say uh, after we uh, congregated at Center field we created the Pan Am games uh, logo that formation so we were probably... Uh, in flight, uh, you know, not quite five minutes, perhaps. Well,
0: I'm sure but, the uh, lactic acid buildup in your arms was probably giving <laughs> you an idea of how long it to, was. Uh,
6: to run well uh, as a runner, uh, you're, the faster your arms move, the faster your legs move. Sure. However, when you're running with a golf ball retriever with a golf uh, with the goose <laughs> on top, you don't have the use of your your arms that way. So, but just to you know hold that position uh, for a number of minutes and to create the uh, the formation of the logo was just it was spectacular.
1: Brooke Jones is our guest, joining us live in 680 CJOB to talk about his experience in the 1999 Pan Am Games. He was the lead goose. He was the first performer to hit the field at Winnipeg Stadium for the opening ceremonies. And uh, he had he carried a goose on a stick. It's a golf ball retriever. And again, we're going to get some pictures and video for our Instagram.
6: How old were you when you did this? Back in 1999. So I was uh, 20, uh, 20 years old. So was your family there to to watch you perform? Uh, from the stands my mom my dad my sister Leah uh, my stepfather and stepmother so it was uh, I knew uh, that they were watching uh, watching me down below to perform so I had that extra extra boost and encouragement and I think in life you need that family family support so they were quite proud
0: so we've been having this discussion, and you referenced in, in your email the the effect that this this event had on Winnipeg. So besides being involved in the opening and closing ceremonies, uh, how how did you participate? How did you celebrate throughout the uh, eleven thirteen days? Well,
6: what a, what an journey! What a journey when you look back on those two weeks of the Pan Am Games. Uh, every day you were uh, go 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 uh, with you know, having the opening ceremonies just taking place and then preparing for the closing ceremony. So rehearsals were still going on, um, wanting to give back to sports, Sport has given me uh, so much in life. I was a volunteer at the athletics uh, venue, my passion for track and field, also the tennis venue, and there was an opportunity to be a National Olympic Committee agent at the Athletes' Village. So my experience from the 1996 International Olympic Youth Camp and the 1996 Summer Olympic Games as a youth delegate on the Olympic team just sort of feel that uh, that passion, that fire, to be involved more. So every day it was uh, rehearsals, getting up early at 6 a.m. to be at the athletics venue, and then rushing over to CFB Winnipeg 17 wing for uh, other volunteer duties. But it was great just to uh, be involved in that two weeks, that uh, to be immersed in that kind of energy and meeting not only the athletes, other coaches, other volunteers. I brought a, a book here that would, uh, people uh, signed that I met throughout those uh, two weeks' experiences. So.
1: You've brought yourself a book here where you, would you call that like a diary or a journal of people
6: you met while you were there? That would be uh, exactly what it is, a diary and journal of people I met. Uh, years before that, my mom had given me a journal, a travel journal to write daily uh, inscriptions of your experiences. However, I quickly turned it in uh, to a journal of people that I met. I would ask them to sign my book and that most, uh, I would say... Probably ninety nine percent of the the people actually wrote uh, messages. Their thoughts on the games, their thoughts oh, on the, oh my god, their almost like a guest so book. It's, uh, yeah, you would call it a guest book. So well, okay, anything you can read
0: for us there? Uh, while we've got you here because that that is obviously pretty unique there, Brooke. Uh, you Met people from all over the all over North and South America. Clearly, all
6: over North America. Um, here's one. Cheers to the head goose, Carol. Pan Am Games, nineteen ninety nine. Uh, great working with you. Great games, Claudette. Uh, volunteers were the best around. Thanks so much. Uh, good luck in your 10Ks.
1: And that's that, That I think, is what what I hear the most about over the years, is the volunteers. Like at the time, people were championing the volunteers, and through the years, that, that always seems to be the, thing, the top thing that people say, the volunteers were so good. And you were one of them. So when you hear that kind of reaction, what does that make you feel
6: like? right now i'm just getting goosebumps uh, to to hear that and to reflect back 20 years later and uh, so fortunate to have uh, been a performer with so many hundreds of other people to uh, bring life and energy to the opening ceremonies it's so important for any multi-sport games to have that uh, kickoff and i was just telling uh, mike how unique it is that the human element of our performers it wasn't digitally created but uh, we were out there on the field Um, and you think of the journey from 999 days out to the auditions in the fall and then the rehearsals from May until uh, July, and uh, to be been named uh, the League goose, it's uh, still very fortunate. And uh, the memories just keep flooding back during these uh, during this time right now.
0: I thought you made a really good point uh, before we came in here. The idea that the the true legacy some people measure the legacy of sporting events like this in terms of the facilities that are left behind, and and I've been guilty for that in terms of you know, looking at uh, maybe a lack of a physical legacy, although the track was replaced at Pan Am Stadium and Shaw Park remains. uh, The the fact that there was no velodrome left behind, I think is a sore spot for some people. That aside, the true legacy is the 20,000 volunteers and what that's done for future events in our community. And, And when you think about what Winnipeg has hosted on a national, on a grand scale since 1999 and even leading up to it, Uh, We always say the people are our greatest resource in in Manitoba, and I think these games exemplified that.
6: So often uh, you hear in your daily travels that uh, friendly Manitoba, but it's the the Manitobans and the volunteers and the number of hours volunteers put in, especially in the sporting world. uh, You can, yeah, you need those people to uh, make the games happen. And what I find uh, unique is people who volunteer from games to games to games or to event to event to event. So that legacy continues on, just like the uh, physical facilities you mentioned.
1: It's Brooke Jones was a lead, was the lead goose in the opening ceremonies of the Pan Am Games. He was a volunteer, and uh, as it turns out, we'd, we you didn't even get into your Winter Wonderland stuff. You created the Winter Wonderland back in the 1990s. We'll have to have that chat another time, Brooke, because we got to go. Brooke is group editor as well with Interlake Publishing. Thank you for reaching out, and thanks for coming to visit us. Thank you very much.